Hi, I'm Matthew Schroeder. My wife Krista and I will be reading John 6, 1-40. This is Jesus Feeds the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed up the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Then Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread enough for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not be enough to buy nearly enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. The men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks, and distributed to them who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I'm Krista Schroeder, and I'm going to be reading John 6, 16 through 40. Jesus walks on the water. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him onto the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had, that they had gone away. into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man will give you. On him the Father of God has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, 
It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection City Church. Like Julie said earlier, if you're just visiting with us this Sunday morning, it's your first time checking out our live stream, or maybe you, you've been here in the past, but you haven't been here in a while, just want to say uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, it's really nice outside, and you could be out doing a lot of stuff, but you chose to spend it with us, and we're very thankful for that. Thanks also to uh, the Schroeders for uh, being our readers this week. It's fun to see um, what different people are up to and to see different people's faces on Sunday mornings other than just... Uh, me and Julie and Zach and, and Heather and Andrea. So thanks for helping out with that, you guys. Um, uh, we're about to get into our sermon today. We're talking through the book of John. And just a reminder, um, we have question and answer afterwards. So if you have a question about something I talk about in the sermon or, or something that is in the, in the passage that maybe I don't get to and you'd like to uh, hear some thoughts on it, uh, go ahead and throw it in the comments. I'd love to, to take a, my best uh, crack at uh, trying to answer your questions. So yeah, so feel, feel free to do that. I think it's really fun when we get to hear from different people um, and get to kind of dig deeper into the into the sermon. So yeah, pl please do that. Um, and we're, we're just going to get going with the sermon here. Like I said, we, we've been in the book of John, um, but I felt like uh, this week, uh, I just feel like I've been catching my breath. Um, and, and I wonder if a lot of other people have been uh, feeling that as well um, with uh, the pandemic that's been sweeping across the country and is, is not going anywhere um, anytime soon right now with, with sort of everything that's happened here in the Twin Cities um, the last few weeks and with how we're all uh, processing through it right now and looking at the road ahead right now, um, it, it feels like uh, things are maybe slowing down. We're catching our breath a little bit, but we're kind of uh, gearing up for a bit of a marathon. Like we understand that even if we're catching our breath now, uh, the end is not necessarily in sight, whether it comes to dealing with the pandemic or really working to um, address the, the injustice that we've all um, been been sort of uh, maybe not exposed to because because many of us are aware of, of it beforehand, but uh, but but are, are really just looking at right now. Um, and so um, when we. When we're in a marathon, like we need to fuel, right? We need we need to uh, we need to be eating the right food. And actually, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the food that we need to be eating as we go into this marathon, um, uh, both with coronavirus and with um, 
and w- w- with addressing systematic in, uh, racism and injustice um, in the book of John here. We're actually, we're talking about bread. And so uh, we're going to dive into that. But, but, but first, let's take, let's take a second to catch our breath in the book of John as well. We, we've been going pretty hard through the book of John. And I just want to take a second to pause and sort of let you know where we've been at and where we're, we're going, kind of even from like a, a standpoint of what's going on in the book in a historical sense and like a, in a context sense. I think it, it, we can read through the Gospels sometimes, and we can just read all these stories about Jesus, and in our brain, they're just taking place in like the same setting, like when we picture it in our head. And Jesus moves around quite a bit. And so I just wanted to like give you a little background for that to give you a sense for where he's been going. So there's a map that should be up on the screen here. Um, and just kind of where we were, where, we, where we've been, just to kind of help you remember where Jesus has been and where he's been uh, kind of heading around to. Um, in chapter four, we talked about Jesus in Samaria with the woman, Jesus, or Julie, uh, talked to us about that. Um, later on, Jesus heads back up to Cana where he heals the official son. Uh, then last week, we talked about Jesus going down to Jerusalem for a festival, healing an invalid at a pool, and getting into a confrontation with the uh, with the religious authorities. And then today, now, he heads all the way back up from Jerusalem, back up to the northern part of, of, the, of the country, to Galilee, where he feeds uh, what is normally called the feeding of the 5,000. And this is actually a story that shows up in all of the Gospels. Um, and so Jesus gets around, and it's a good reminder that what Jesus is doing is taking place over time. It's not happening, you know, one day this happened, then the next day this happened, then the next day this happened. It's taking place, really, the whole book of John is taking place over the course of several years. And so it's a good reminder that what we see Jesus doing in John is really selective. And he's actually been doing this type of stuff in lots of other settings that we're just not hearing about when we go through the book of John. We hear about some of those in uh, the other Gospels, but even beyond that, I think there's a lot of Jesus's ministry that we're not always hearing about in the Gospels. We're just hearing the the, the most important parts. And um, and and we, we, we kind of see that, uh, that what Jesus is doing in John is like a pattern. There's healings, and there, there's helping people out uh, in different places, and then there's discourse around it. That's kind of the pattern in the book of John. And because of all this stuff, because of how much of it that Jesus is doing, um, he's starting to gather these really large crowds, and that's where we're at now in the book, where th- that's why all these people show up. Now, it's, it's, it's called the feeding of the 5,000. That's how the heading in your Bible, if you were following along in your Bible, that's what it'll read. But if you remember from hearing uh, Matt and Krista be uh, reading this earlier, um, that's just 5,000 men, all right? That, that's not talking about the wives and the kids of these guys. And so really, um, there's fifteen to 20,000 people that are present at this in this uh, situation. So imagine like, uh, Alliance Field, the, the soccer stadium that in Hamlin Midway, that fits 19,400 people. So um, we, you could probably have filled that stadium up almost all the way with the amount of people that are hearing Jesus speak. That's how uh, popular he is at this point because of his ministry that he's been doing, of, of healing people, of caring for them, and of doing things like, like feeding people. And so he's seen as this sort of healer, and this sort of meter of people's needs, uh, uh, feeding them, and especially of the poor, especially of those who, who don't have the ability to care for themselves. And that has been a big reason people are coming to hear him speak, okay? The, 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 the stuff that he's doing makes them want to hear what he has to say. And so this passage really takes that idea uh, of, of being fed literally 
and being fed spiritually and sort of puts those two together in a really uh, cool way. And John sort of brackets the, the walking on water, which we just won't get to today. Uh, and I'm sorry, we just, we just don't have time to get to that. But we're going to really talk about the two types of bread that Jesus is talking about in this passage. And, and I think the idea of bread is really, uh, it's a symbolic one because bread is, at least, at least in their time, it's sort of like the base food that you would eat. Right? It's kind of like the, 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 the most important. It represents the base need of all people. Even in the Lord's Prayer, what, what Jesus says to ask for is like the thing that you need most today, ask for that. Uh, and so that's why we pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread. We're asking for Jesus to meet sort of our base needs, to care for us in that way. And when we see in John here two types of bread, we're seeing how God meets our base needs. And so Jesus feeds uh, this group of people physical bread, but he talks about uh, also spiritual bread. And I think this represents for us, especially as we start to move in this place where as a, as a society, we are like society-wide wrestling with trying to, 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 to make more just, a more just society, a society where people are being cared for. We as Christians are entering into that, asking ourselves the question, which of these two should we be focusing on? How should, how should we think about the relationship uh, between these two types of bread, feeding people spiritually and feeding them physically? And, and so really, th- this is not a new question or debate that Christians have had. And, and usually it gets sort of um, put together in a two-pronged sort of way. The question of, should we save society or should we be saving souls? Okay, w- w- what, what do we do? Uh, wh- which, wh- which one of these things are we called to do? And, and so like, there's a segment of some Christians that are, are about what, what some people call the social gospel, right? God is calling us to fix the world here and now. And, and really, it's about saving society. And it, it, can be get, it can become very political and it can become very focused specifically on earth and what's going on here and now. And we talk about the gospel as if that's what the gospel is about. So you have that on one hand, and then on the other hand, you have the, sort of the opposite side of that, which is like, oh, no, we're about the gospel, which is about saving souls. Like God, God calls us to get ready for the new world he's going to create. And this world, we don't need to care about that much except for trying to save people from it. And, and so um, often these two get placed at odds with one another. And, and we ask the question, which one of these is the real gospel? Which one of these is Jesus actually about? Which one of these is, 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 is it our duty as Christians to be talking about? I think you'll, you'll find that some places where these two things are pitted against one another. And at Res City, um, we don't think that they should be pitted against each other. We, we think they actually need each other. And if you pull one of them apart from the other, you're actually creating a sort of watered-down version of the gospel, almost a deformed version of Christianity, I think, when you split these two apart. Because I think the gospel is really about both of these things. And so instead of asking the question, which one of these is right, which one of these is the, is the right way to think about the gospel, we should be asking the question this way. When salvation comes to people, what effect is that going to have on the world around us in the here and now? Okay, that's the question we should be asking. That's how we should be thinking about what happens with salvation. And so for us today, the big idea is that in the Bible, in the story of Jesus, in the story of God's redemption plan, um, we are saved from the world, but we are also saved for the good of the world. 
Those two things go together. We are saved from the world. We are saved from what is taking place on earth and in our own hearts now. But we are saved for the good and for the purpose of the world. Now, let me explain that a little bit. So, the word world is actually shows up a ton in the book of John. It's actually uh, one, of the, one of his favorite words to use. And the, and the Greek word for, for world is cosmos. Um, and, and what it means is, is world, order, uh, universe, creation, world system, and then just world, like the people in the world. And, and, and so we see this a lot, including in the most famous verse in the whole book, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, right? The, the, the verse that pretty much everybody, even if you're not a Christian, has heard before, has the word world in it. So it's clearly an important concept to John. Now, when we think of, of the, the word uh, cosmos, um, that's where we get our word cosmology from in English. And so if you're talking about the origins of the universe, that's, you know, we're talking cosmology, cosmos, the Greek word there. Um, in the Greek, it's really expansive. Um, it actually kind of means, it does mean literal creation. It for sure means that. But it also means what's taking place within the literal creation. The sort of the web of humans that together gather to create a society. Because what happens when you get a bunch of people together is they eventually form a city. And when you get a bunch of cities together, they form a territory or a state or a province or something like that. When you get a bunch of uh, territories, of states, of provinces together, you get a nation. And when you get a bunch of nations together, you have, at this point, this very complex web of, of human society, of, of different interaction, of humans coming together. And what happens is that the sin that's in people uh, takes on uh, an institutional form within this web that's been created ab- ab- among all the connections between different people. All right, so the sin that is in individual people has an outlet into the things that we create as society, and that cr- that, that 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 mars all of creation. And so, w- when Jesus talks about hostility to him and God by the world in the book of John, he's talking about individuals for sure. And we see individuals say certain things to him in hostility. But he's also, we're also seeing that there are institutions that are hostile to Jesus as well. These sort of institutions that are created by individual people that are coming together. And we see this both in Greek uh, and Roman, really, I guess, Roman um, institutions and Pilate and sort of the state of Rome is against him. The state of Rome crucifies him. That's a capital offense um, by, the, by the, the, the institution of the Roman government. Also, we see it in, in the Jewish government, right? In the Jewish uh, religious leaders, these institutions are hostile to Jesus and his message as well. Now, we're going to talk about specifically about what do we do, how do we think about opposition to Jesus, and, and how do we respond to that, how do we think through it. And actually, uh, next, starting next week, we're going to be doing uh, another mini-sermon series within the book of John, just like the beginning of John has been called Come and See, where we're being introduced to God-made flesh in the person of Jesus. We're going to be talking about um, what happens when opposition crops up naturally to God coming to earth in Jesus. And so that's going to be kind of our focus for the next few weeks after this. Um, but to kind of get back to the, the so, so we're not going to talk about that a ton today, but to kind of get back to um, uh, to, to, the, to the concept of world is, is, is in Romans 8, uh, Paul talks about how creation has been, has been put into bondage. It's been cursed along with humans. So the effect of human sin goes out into the rest of the world. And so society now is broken because people within it are broken. 
Now, there are two ways that you can think to solve the problem of society being broken. One, you can try to solve that problem by starting with reforming institutions, all right? And that's what we mostly do, I think, as a society nowadays. That's, our, that's typically our thought. We can get out and vote. We can get out and um, think of other civic ways to engage institutions. And I, there's, that's not bad. I'm not saying that that's bad, but I'm saying that biblically, that's not the, that's not the root of the issue, and so the Bible's answer to how, to how to make society, to make the world redeemed, is to redeem humans individually. Society uh, starts to experience redemption as people experience redemption, as people are liberated from their own bondage by believing the gospel. You start to see that effect in society. And that's why the gospel is about people experiencing reconciliation with God. And what that and that has an effect on the rest of society, and we're going to talk about that today, okay? Okay, so let's get into the passage a little bit, though. John six twenty six, uh, Jesus answered them, "Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which which means more literally life in the age to come." which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So here's what's happening. Remember we said Jesus is, he's very famous. He's well known because of some of the signs and wonders that he's been accomplishing. And, 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 and we see the people are jacked about Jesus feeding them all. When he feeds all these people, he walks on water, he goes to the other side of the lake, but he actually gets hunted down by a lot of these people. And, um, and the reason is because people need to eat, okay? Eating is not always easy in their world, just like it is in our world, right? N- there are inequalities that exist everywhere in every society, in every culture. And so just like the same is true for us, and, and we are aware of that as a church. We, we work with the, um, with the nonprofit, The Sheridan Story, to try to help students who have trouble getting food. Like we are, are trying to feed them as well, just like uh, Jesus is experiencing here. It's a problem for them. And so naturally, if you're, if you're someone like that and you are meeting a Messiah figure who comes from God and who can serve you all you can eat bread and fish miracle buffets every day, uh, that sounds like that could fix your problem, right? You, that, you can understand why this is so attractive. And this is really the hope of many Jews in the first century, that a, a, a king would, would, would come and save them in a political way by establishing a new political kingdom that would be just, that would be from God and would, would solve their problems. They would kick kind of the bad guys out and, 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 and result in a sort of institutional change. That's what many Jews are waiting for, and, you, and that's why Jesus is so popular. And we actually see in verse 15 that after he feeds them all, uh, that uh, the people try to make him king by force. Like, they're like, you might not want this, dude, but you got to be king. We need you to be king. We need you to come in and change this, uh, change the institutions around us here because this is what we're looking for, someone who's going to come feed us, okay? And it's, it's very natural. It's very, it makes very much sense to them. But Jesus, you can tell, wants to draw their attention to some deeper problem that is going to be the actual deeper fix to, not just to them personally, but also to the societal problems around them. And to him, the problem is not that there's not enough bread to go around and that you just need someone who's going to get in there that's going to put in some policies to make sure everybody is fed right. The problem to him is that bread spoils. And we see that in verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Okay? The, the problem is that bread here spoils. So we need something better than just the bread we eat here on earth. 
That can't fix the problem because tomorrow you're going to have to come back for more. And Jesus is talking about a deeper, lasting change. And, and, and just like bread spoils, uh, society, the world, the people within it have spoiled as well. Okay, and so what, what everybody needs is this new type of bread that comes from a new place. Now, in verses 28 and 29, you see the people respond to Jesus, but they still don't quite get it. They then asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. So the people persist. What work do we need to do to, to get this bread, Jesus? Tell us, like, what, what, what can we, what, how can we be more educated? How can we work harder? How can we get the right reforms in place to get this bread? Because we, like, we would like that to happen. Just tell us what to do. But the problem is this, and this is, again, this is a part of the heart of the problem, is that our works, the works of these people, what, that was not going to lead to life. And that was the whole problem. It's because our best work comes out of the, the same spoiled root that, uh, that got the world stuck in the mess that it's in in the first place. Okay? That, that, that's, that's the problem. And so something new is needed to, to attack that. And whatever the best work that people are going to provide, it's not going to answer the deeper solution to the problem. And if you think I'm wrong, okay, if you hear that and you think that can't be right, let me just reflect back to you the state of the world right now. Hey, we, we have this thing uh, that we like to call the myth of progress. We're very, we're very high on our, our idea of, 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 being, uh, of progress and bringing a better world. And, and just the longer we go uh, along as humans, the more we're going to learn, the better society is going to get. And that's been firmly in place in the West for a couple centuries now. That, that eventually um, this utopia is going to emerge where everyone is, everything is going to be perfect. All of our problems in society are basically going to go away and we're going to have brought that ourselves. Now, to some degree, this is true. Demonstrably, we live in a better world than the world of Jesus' time. We have better health care. Um, society is much better in many ways uh, than it was. Okay, But, okay, that said, just think about what we're facing as a society right now. We face deep a deep, unbridgeable division as a society, a, a complete disconnect between two groups of people, um, and, and there is an election on the horizon that is only going to make that worse, if we're being honest. Things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse before they get better. We have got leaders who are all about themselves, who, who fail to solve problems, who in doing so are, you know, bungle responses to pandemics and, and, and in their own ways have, have added to the problem. Okay? And all of this is not mentioning the deep, deep racial wounds from widespread systematic injustices that we have, we have blindly thought we fixed for centuries that we're finding have taken a deeper root than we could have ever imagined. Okay, so if we think, if we think that we've solved all of our problems, that the world is getting better and better and better, all we need to do is look at 2020 to realize that that's not true. Okay, right? That, that's just the last year. Okay, there's uh, so many other problems I could list that we still have as a society that when we tell ourselves, oh, we're progressing, we're just turning a blind eye to the ways in which we continue to screw things up over and over again, that our work continues to not solve the problem and create new problems. All right, and so this is where the social gospel, I think, that sort of save the world mentality uh, misses the point. It's because we can't fix this world. We need to be saved from it. Right? That's what salvation is about, is salvation from this world that is broken and not, cannot be fixed by anything that exists within the world. What we need is a new world with new bread from a new bakery that has new life that springs forth from eating it. 
That's what we need. And that's what Jesus comes to offer. And only Jesus is going to give us that. Okay? And he, he gives that to us freely. He gives it to us indiscriminately. And he gives it to us completely apart from our efforts. Those matter nothing to him. He is giving us this bread freely. And the only way to receive it is as a gift. Because the best that we have to give is still a product of a spoiled world. Even our best work is going to spring from spoiled motives. And so we need to receive it freely as it's offered as a gift. It must be a work from God. It must uh, not be a work of us because then it will be tainted by our own spoiled bread that we have, have made for ourselves. Okay, but saying all that, being saved from the world does not mean that we are leaving the world to destroy itself now. That is not what the bread that Jesus gives us is meant for, is for us to sort of wait until we just disappear from this place and it gets blown up and we just kind of hold, hang on until we hoard this bread that we've been given, this bread that leads to life in the age to come. Um, and we just hold that to ourselves. And I think that's what where this sort of um, the gospel-only mentality, oh, we just are about saving souls, that's where this misses the point too because this bread is not meant to be thrown into a storehouse called the church and just left there for just Christians to eat and just Christians to enjoy. That is not the purpose of it either. See, we get empowered with a nourishment from heaven that helps us to bring life to the world now, at least in a measure, to bring that life that we are waiting for in the future when, when Jesus returns and the world is made up of completely of bread that only Jesus can bring. Like we're, we are tasked with, with giving that life and that nourishment that we get from that gospel to the world in the here and now. And I think that when we, when we look at verse 27 again, we, we kind of see why this is the case. Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, life in the age to come, which the Son of Man will give you. And I've been thinking about this idea of, of enduring. Like all week, I've actually been like trying, I, right up until before the sermon even, I was trying to like, how do I, just been pondering over that sense of like, this bread endures. Um, and what what that means, and I think what like for us right now is we talk about what that looks like for, for for us to have this bread now that is going to endure into the age to come. What what, what that matters for us is this. Okay, imagine that you uh, you're a contractor and you have you through time travel. I don't know some time travel movie, whatever. Think of the plot of a, your favorite time travel movie. You now have uh, materials from the year 2050 the materials that are going to make up houses in the year 2050. Um, it's, it's obviously, it's better stuff, right? It, 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 it has a better understanding of what makes for a good house. You have that material in the present now. No one else has it, just you do. Um, you would be, you'd be stupid, you'd be wasteful, you'd be irresponsible to not uh, build houses with that material now if you had it even though you know other people don't have it, even though you know you could just hang on to it and wait till 2050 and you would be a little bit ahead of the curve, you'd already be living in that, you'd be, you'd be irresponsible to not be sharing that and trying to get that out for other people to be able to use, okay? Now, us as Christians, we have that material. We have material now, we have bread now that we know will endure, it will last, it will be a part of the world to come, okay? We know what the world to come will be made up of, because we have it right now. It's stuff that will endure um, from now into the future. And the stuff of that is the stuff that we experience in the gospel, okay? The world in the future will be made up of forgiveness, of mercy, of restorative justice, of redemption, of hope, 
of love. That's what the world, the, the age to come will be made up of. That will be the building blocks of it because it's a world that Jesus will build for us. And we experience that now in the present as Christians in a measure that the rest of the world doesn't experience, okay? So we know what will make up the world to come someday. We experience it. And we, like that builder, are, are irresponsible to not take that stuff and to try to use it to, to bring life to the world now as much as we can. And shame on us for thinking we can just hoard that stuff and not share it with the world, to not bring life to the rest of the world right now, to not think that the gospel is about the, the recreation of all of the world, that that's what we're looking forward to in the future, and to not get started on doing that now as much as we can in the present. Even while understanding that um, uh, that we're not the ones that bring the kingdom, that only Jesus does. Um, but while we have a taste of that in the present through our own experience of the gospel, to not bring that to bear on the rest of the world is irresponsible of us. And if we're being honest, the church, Christians, have been irresponsible in not trying to bring that to the rest of society, in hoarding it and keeping it within the walls of their church and in, in the walls of their, their friendships uh, with just Christians. Shame on us for not waking up to this earlier, okay? And so we need to, to, get, to get going with that. Now, if you're wondering if this actually works, actually, it does. We, we have seen it work in the past. And it's not like the church has never done this. The church has actually traditionally done really well in this. I think in America, in the last hundred years, we've not been great at it. But I really think that there are lots of examples of seeing this work in the world now. And, and I want to bring one to your attention now. And I think this is a really a really good one for us to be reflecting on now, or to be looking back at this. And it's actually not that long ago that this occurred, um, but I think uh, most of us at Res City are young enough to where we were just, we just weren't paying attention at this time. We were really young. But our parents um, w- probably know this name of this man. And, and his name is Desmond Tutu. Um, and, and, and Desmond Tutu um, was a South African bishop in the Anglican Church. Um, he still is living now. I don't think he actually holds the role anymore. Um, but he led the fight to end apartheid in South Africa, really for about 30 years, but really was in the 80s that this really um, caught on. And um, apartheid, if you're not aware of it, it's the sort of institutional uh, racial segregation that dominated, uh, it, was, it was a legalized segregation and racism, basically, within uh, the government, within the society of South Africa. And black people were just treated as if they did not matter as much as white people. And, and so Desmond Tutu, he's a black, uh, he's a black bishop, and, and he led the fight to sort of end apartheid in a, not in a bad way, not through civil war, but through preaching the gospel of forgiveness and, and seeing people who lived forgiven bring forgiveness out from just in their own hearts and to put it into the rest of their society. Um. And if you see interviews with him, and I, and I watched one this week, and it was very moving to just hear him say, we are forgiven as Christians. We believe that at the very base of who we are, we are forgiven. And our Savior, our Master, calls us to forgive also. And, and this isn't just abstract, to just go out and be forgiving and try to have a forgiving attitude towards people. This actually plays out within society in a way that builds a world 
remember, built out of the building blocks uh, of stuff that will endure into the age to come. So we know it has a substance, a weight to it that works, that brings actual life and healing. And we see that in South Africa. Because when, when radical forgiveness is experienced, it ends the cycle of, of, of victimization and revenge. This is, this is all stuff I'm just taking from, from Desmond Tutu. Right? He says that people give up their right to respond as the wronged to get revenge. Right? They feel like they're, they're, they're right in, in, in going and, and responding in the sort of evil that's been done to them. But when we forgive... We are, we are taking away a world that creates more and more victims. And we are avoiding war. We're avoiding the, the war that really, that, that is in some places, maybe developing between police and riders, right? We're seeing that taking place. Um, but, but like real institutional change can occur when forgiveness sweeps across uh, a society. And, and the only way forgiveness is going to sweep across a society is for people to experience the gospel. And that's what we have. Right? We are the ones as Christians who are acquainted with real forgiveness, with real justice, with real mercy, with real hope, with real love, because we experience it in Jesus. Right? We are the ones who are acquainted with it. We talk about it every single week. We sing about it on Sunday mornings. You talk about it in your community groups. You're reading your Bibles. You're learning that. You're, you're looking at it in your own heart. We should be the ones on the front lines of, of preaching these things in the rest of society because we know it works. We've seen it work in our own lives, and we can help to give that to society to help bridge, bridge the gap. So our first point of application here as we start to kind of close is that if that's true, if that's available to us, if, if we have that bread, we got to eat the bread. we got to gobble that bread up, okay? We can't, we can't just uh, know we have the bread in our cupboard and not actually ever eat it more than once a week maybe when we tune in to watch a Sunday morning service or we go to church on Sunday morning. Or maybe we, we eat a little bit of bread in our community groups, but we're really not eating it very much. Right? As Christians, if we are really... Okay, and let me, let me be honest with you. I know everyone watching this wants to see change in society. I know that that's your heart. Okay? I, I, I get that. And, and I am so thankful and proud of, of seeing that in the hearts of all of you who, who, are, who go to Rest City. I, I know that's true of you. If we are going to really be a part of bringing good change, wherever we're at, whatever uh, uh, possibility we have to affect change, we are not going to be able to bring that if we are not eating that bread that we've been given that's going to sustain us to bring it out into the present, to bring that nourishment that we have out into the rest of the world. If you're not spending time reflecting on the love of God, on the justice that we experience on the cross, on the mercy that we have, on the hope that we have, if you're not becoming an expert in that, you can't go uh, bring the change that you're hoping to bring. Like that's, that's the thing that we have that is going to bring that. And so if you're thinking, I can be part of change in the world by not reading my Bible, by not reflecting on the gospel on a regular basis in my own life, I think you're mistaken because you're choosing not to eat the bread that's going to be the thing that brings nourishment to the rest of the world. And so be thinking about that as you think about what it looks like for you to be a part of changing society, of, of bridging the gap of injustice, of doing something about inequities that exist in the Twin Cities area, in the rest of the world, in your place of work, in your family, in your neighborhood, wherever it is that you're identifying to kind of settle in and work. If you think you can do that without uh, being an expert in the gospel, 
then um, I want to challenge you to rethink that because that's where it starts for us as Christians. That's where our power comes from to really change society is in the gospel. So we need to start there. But then we need to, we need to get to running, okay? And this is our second point of application. Um, like I said at the beginning of the, uh, of the sermon, we, we are in the middle of a marathon right now. Okay, and I think people are coming to grips with that. This is not a sprint. We're not going to fix injustice. We're not going to fix the problems of, of coronavirus in our world um, in the next couple weeks here. Okay, it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a consistent fight from us. We got to settle in. We have to be ready for a marathon. Now, I've run a couple of half marathons, um, and I can tell you from experience, it makes a big difference um, if you eat well before you run a marathon. Okay, and so uh, like. Um, like you, you just we when we talk about the marathon of justice, of reform, of of healing, of forgiveness, of mercy, we we have to understand that like we got to fuel right, okay. And this goes back to that last point. But like we got to get to running now. If we're gonna eat this bread, we can't be hoarders of it. We have to actually get out and use it as we run, as we have the energy and the nourishment to really run this marathon well. And when we eat the bread of Jesus, when we eat the strength to let our salvation impact the world. Um, to be used for the good of the world, to run the marathon ahead of us, to get justice in our society, then um, we can be the people that really do bring change. And, and the church can be the thing that leads in this. And that's my hope and that's my prayer. And I hope that's your prayer as well. That the, 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 the church made up of people who have this bread are the ones who, who really are the ones who bring uh, reform and justice and, and mercy to the rest of our society. Okay, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to head into the rest of our service. Lord, uh, we thank you that you do not leave us to bread that spoils. Um, we thank you that when you come to earth, you give, um, you give us bread that, 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 that finds uh, fulfillment in, in, in enduring to the age to come. Lord, when, when you will come, when you will make all things right, when you will build a perfect world made of, of, of restoration, of justice, of mercy, of hope, of love, but we get to experience that now in the present, Lord. And I pray that as we experience it, that we would be building uh, wherever we can now um, uh, markers of that world that will be coming in the future and that we can give life, we can revive and refresh society where we're at by living out what has happened in our own hearts, Lord, by living out that experience and, and letting others experience it. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, that other people would see the, the bread that we are nourished by and that they would, um, they would want that as well that they would not just want to uh, fix things now, but they would want to have the hope uh, of, of, of enduring as well to the age to come, Lord. That, that is our hope. That is our prayer, Lord. And give us the strength to do it, to run this marathon uh, well as you've called us to do it, Lord. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.